Uh, good morning, everyone. Our first reading this morning is from Leviticus chapter 19, verses 11 to 18. Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of our God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbour. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favouritism to the great, but judge your neighbour fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbour's life. I'm the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbour frankly so that you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. Uh, and now from Luke 10, 25 to 42. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. 
You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. To avoid a shock, I need to tell you that this sermon will be slightly shorter than normal. Because of NCLS, please sit down. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, may your word live in us and may much, bear much fruit to your glory. Amen. Well, today in our series, Grace in the Life of Jesus, we're going to take a slightly new direction. So far, Luke 4, Grace and the Poor, Luke 5, Grace and the Sick, last week, Luke 7, Grace and Forgiveness. We've focused upon God's abundant grace or gift to the unworthy and the response it requires in return. In the language we've been using, God's grace is unconditioned, that is, not conditioned by the worth of the recipient, but not unconditional, that is, it does come expecting a return. Today, our focus is a little more upon the grace that we are to show in response to God's grace. So a little more about what we're to do rather than what God has done. So let me take you then to Luke 10, verse 25, which is the second of the readings, I, I think. I just got the car park in as the hymns ended, so I'm just uh, from the other church, so I'm a little bit not sure what happened here. Now, what you've got there in Luke 10, 25, is one of the best-known parables from Jesus of all time. It's so well known, actually, that may be a bit of a problem for us because we already know what it's going to say and therefore its impact upon us is quite muted. Let me show you what I mean. Fill in the blanks. The Samaritan was a blank. He was a blank Samaritan. Easy, right? The answer's good. Whatever Samaritans are, they're good. After all this parable, he's universally called the Good Samaritan. And Samaritans are so good that in the United Kingdom, their version of Lifeline, telephone counselling service, people in distress, is called the Samaritans. If you were to go back in time to Jesus' day and talk to Jesus or his contemporaries, they would be shocked at this, utterly shocked. Because... Well, look, I'll show you what... You get an idea of the deep historical animosity that existed between Jews and Samaritans. The kind you only get with close neighbours. There can be a viciousness and a long-term between close neighbours. By If you go to page two of the Order of Service, where I've got a quote there from a book called The Wisdom of Jesus Ben Sirach, or Jesus, Son of Sirach. It's a, it's a Jewish work written 200 years before Christ. It's in the Old Testament Apocrypha. So it's got some standing. It's not, not scripture as we understand it, but it's got some standing. Here's, here's the quote from section chapter 50. There are two people my soul detests. The third is not a nation at all. The inhabitants of Mount Seir, they're the Edomites, and the Philistines, and the stupid people living in Shechem, the Samaritans. And that hostility was mutual. They hated back. 
in, chapter, in Luke 9, just the chapter before this, we read that a village of Samaritans refused to let Jesus in to go through them because they knew he was going to Jerusalem. And they weren't going to have it because that's, they despised Jerusalem, thinking that God would be worshipped somewhere else. Now, Jesus uses the fact of this hatred to shock his listeners about how you can obey God's commandments. It all begins with an expert of the law stands up to ask, to test Jesus with a question. By expert in the law, it doesn't mean a senior partner in Minter Ellison, but an expert in the Torah, the law of Moses, the first part of what we call the Old Testament. And here's the question. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's asking Jesus what Jesus thinks is the kind of behaviour required for someone who is going to share in the life of the age to come, the kingdom of God. He's asking what Jesus thinks God requires of his people. Although, if you read carefully, he asks less because he wants to know the answer, but only to check Jesus, to test him, as verse 25 of chapter 10 of Luke says. Now, at best, this might mean he wants to engage in a theological debate of the kind these kind of people like doing. At worst, he may be trying to catch Jesus out. Now, this interaction becomes really questions at 20 paces because Jesus doesn't reply with an answer. He replies with a question. Verse 26. What is written in the law? How do you read it? That is, you want to know what God requires? Check the Torah. Read, read, read the scriptures. How do you read it? The scriptures. And this expert in the law is actually very good at what he does. For he goes to the very heart of God's instruction to Israel how to live as his people. It's been, the rabbis have worked out, there's 300, sorry, 613 prohibitions and commandments in the law of Moses, the Torah. But this teacher, this expert in the law, can find the two, the two of them, which are the whole heart of the matter. So he responds to Jesus. He answered, verse 27, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind, which is a citation of Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. And love your neighbour as yourself, a citation from Leviticus 19, 18. And Jesus agrees with him. In fact, we have in the gospel other occasions where Jesus himself makes exactly the same way of summarizing the entire law, although Jesus goes further. He says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, that is, the scriptures, in terms of commandments. So he says to the, to the expert in the law, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. What must I do to live as God's people? What are the, what are the great commandments to live as God's people? It applies as much today as it did then, even though we're not li li living under the Torah anymore. Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbour and yourself. There, there is the heart of the obligations to live as God's people. But that's not enough for the expert in the law. He has another question. He wants to clarify. And uh, who is my neighbour? 
Now, to understand this question, you have to forget what you think the answer is. Right? To understand the question, you've got to forget what you think the answer is. In fact, the word neighbour does not mean everybody. That's not what it means. Love everybody. That's not what the commandment means. A neighbourhood is not everywhere. A neighbourhood is around here. That's a neighbourhood compared to over there. A neighbour is someone who is in some sense close to you, geographically or relationally. One of us, in contrast to them. The neighbour is in contrast to the other, the foreigner. And that's exactly how it's used in Leviticus 19, which we had read for us, where the commandment to love your neighbour as yourself is in context. Let me give it to you and you'll see the point I'm making. I'll read verse 17 and 18. It begins, Do not hate a fellow Israelite, literally in the Hebrew, brother, do not hate a brother, in your heart, rebuke your neighbour frankly, so you will not share their guilt. In other words, it's telling you not to, not to be resentful, but to be open about if you've got a problem with someone. Verse 18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your own people, but love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. See, a fellow Israelite or brother, anyone among your people, is parallel in both sentences, both chapter, uh, commands to your neighbour. They refer to the same thing. Your neighbour is a fellow Israelite or your brother or those among your people. That's what the commandment is talking about. So for the expert of the law, the question, who is my neighbour, is asking, where do you, Jesus, think the boundary should be between us, us Israelites, us people of God, us, virtuous ones, and them? You shall love your neighbour as yourself. Oh, yes, but, but who is my neighbour? What's the line, Jesus? Do you think, teacher? Interestingly, we are told that the expert of the law raised this further issue because, quote, he wanted to justify himself. In other words, it was really all about him. Well, as I said, his questions are 20 paces. Jesus replies with not an answer, but another question. Uh, this is quite a long question, this one, because it, he, he sketches out a scenario and then asks the lawyer to make a judgment about the scenario. The scenario he describes is an incident on the 27-kilometre um, dangerous, hazardous road from Jerusalem up, up in the hill country all the way down to the Jordan Valley to Jericho, which, by the way, is below sea level. It's amazing that um, it's a huge... And it's a very dangerous road, not just physically, but dangerous from the point of view of uh, uh, violence. And in the, in the scenario Jesus paints, a man is attacked by robbers and left dead on the road, left for dead on the road. There are other travellers coming down the road as well. One is a priest coming down. No doubt we're to understand this as someone who served in the temple and he's finished his, his, ro his roster, he's coming down the road. We read, Jesus says, when he saw the man, he passed by the other side. At a glance, off he went. Next, there's a lesser temple official, a Levite. Jesus says, when he came down and saw him, he came to the place where he was, saw him, passed by the other side. Now, you see a pattern here? We're getting the rank coming down and the engagement slightly going up. Priest, walk by. Levite, went to where he was, walk by. What's next? What do you expect next? This rule of three, it's often, he, often jokes have three things happening. Think, well, it's got to be priest, Levite, 
layman. That's what's next. Neither a priest nor a Levite. A Jewish layman will come by and no doubt you'll do something different. That's what you're expecting, right? That's what you would expect. Here comes the shock. The third traveller is one of the stupid people living in Shechem. No Israelite. A man with deep animosity to Jews and vice versa. Actually, the shock is not that he was there. The shock is what he did. Jesus says, but a Samaritan, as he travelled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He took pity on him. And um, in a world without hospitals, he does all he can. Jesus talks about the life, creates a picture of the life-saving help that he imagines he would give in this story. I quote from verse 34. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, poking, pouring oil and wine. He then took the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. What is the difference between this man and the, and, and the first two? When he saw him, quote, he took pity on him. Now, the Greek word that Luke uses for pity is the word uh, that means literally moved in the bowels or guts. It's interesting, different cultures have different parts of the body where they locate emotions. In English, we'd probably say his heart went out to him. But the, his guts felt for him. Um, he had a gut feeling about him, and that's not strong enough. Much better would be, he was moved with compassion. That's probably even a better translation, just moved with pity. Moved with compassion. I'm stressing that because we're not to understand in this story of Jesus, the Samaritan just made, a, as it were, a rational decision. Sure, he, he was acting rationally, but it was more than that. It was an act of what you might call moral imagination. Moral imagination. Which is crucial to human, human flourishing. Moral feeling when he saw this man. He saw the poor, naked, and half-dead man, and he saw him first and foremost as a fellow human being and felt for him and acted. Moral imagination. Now, by now, you might have forgotten that all this is a preliminary to a question. The question Jesus is framing in reply to the expert of the Lord's prior question to him, who is my neighbour? Having sketched this scenario, Jesus finally puts the question to the lawyer. Which of these three do you think was neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert of the law, again, gets the right answer. The one who had mercy on him. Notice he doesn't even say the name. Perhaps he can't bring himself to do that. But it was still the one who had mercy on him even though it turns out he was one of those stupid people living in Shechem. That's the one who was neighbour of the man who fell into the hands of robbers. Again, Jesus, having received the correct answer from the, from the expert of the law, tells him to do something about it. Go, he says, and do likewise. And there the account ends. Another story about another occasion afterwards. As I mentioned last week, as so often happens in gospel remembrances of Jesus, the story ends with a punchline from Jesus. 
But here's the question. What exactly is Jesus' answer to the expert of the law's question, who is my neighbour? What exactly is the answer? Who am I to love as myself? Notice how Jesus asked his question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? The expert the law had asked a different question. Who is my neighbour? Jesus' reply question was, who was a neighbour in this story? See, neighbour cuts both ways. Now, I think that's a very important uh, and significant difference. There's a shift from who is my neighbour, which is a passive, static question. Where is the line? Who's on that side? Who's on this side? I'm asking in a more theoretical, abstract sense. I, I, I want to, to, to work out where the, where the, where the, where the, where the borders are, where, where my boundaries are to be. Whereas the question, who was a neighbour, calling upon this dynamic narrative, is, is, is about a dynamic response. Who, who in that context was the neighbour? And that question put that way has the capacity to cut across boundaries, as it did, in fact, in the scenario Jesus threw out. It moves from passive, neighbour is passive, who is, to neighbour is active. As I said, being neighbour cuts both ways. Because the Samaritan was the least qualified to be a neighbour. Not those stupid people living in Shechem. Everybody listening to Jesus would have agreed completely that if anybody in that story, the Samaritan could not possibly have been a neighbour. If the Samaritan's a neighbour, no one's a neighbour. And yet he was. Yet he was, by being compassionate. Go and do likewise. What has happened is this. Jesus' parable has tricked us. The way he tells the story, he seems to be particularly emphasising identity. The identity of each of the three. A priest, a Levite, a Samaritan. But it turns out that's not the point at all. That's part of the shock of it being a Samaritan. He's defined, the, the one who is neighbour is defined, not by identity, who was he, but by the fact that he was the one who had mercy upon him. And so the result of this parable is, is to start defining neighbour, not by identity, but priest, Levite, Samaritan, but by action and heart, the one who had mercy upon him. One thing you're going to find in, as we go through this year, focusing on grace, when we get to, to Galatians especially, that increasingly the New Testament radically undermines racial, ethnic identity as the marker, it's overwhelmed by the power of grace. In fact, I couldn't think anything more up-to-date in a world where we're obsessed with identity today, identity politics, but that's beginning here in Jesus' parable, in Jesus' answer to the parable. So then, how do you get to be the neighbour? Not who is your neighbour. Change the story, see? By the exercise of compassion in the appropriate context. By having guts, if you want to use the metaphor not by who your identity is or what their identity is. Having compassion crosses from us to them as the occasion demands. Not identity, but compassion. Being a person of grace.
let me emphasize that we ruin this command if we take it simply to mean love everybody. That is both too abstract and pretty impossible, let alone guilt-producing. The command is focused on the one you must be neighbour to or show compassion to on the occasion, that one, the one near you, who you might meet tomorrow at work or at home or in the street, that one, the person you encounter in your life, a person who calls in that moment upon your compassion, you as a person of grace. I know it's not cut and dried, I know that may annoy some of you. If you want a clear, simple answer, don't go to Jesus' parable. Don't go to this one anyway. You may say, how do I become a person of grace? Well, you heard the second story. Imitate Mary, who chose what was better by sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to what he said. Go and do likewise.